we're going to be looking at this, uh, just even this word a little bit, he who dwells. The most, uh, if, you know, if you don't gain anything I've been saying in this series or anything I'm saying today, the most important thing that we need to do is dwell in the secret place of the Most High. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, this, 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 your safe place, your, your secret place, is dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And no matter where you are, what you're going through, that is your safe place. And that's where all the promises of God are yes and amen. Okay, I'm making sense of it. Just kind of get into this point. So I'm gonna, we're going to look at three different things this morning. Uh, I'll spend a little more time on the last one. <clears throat> but uh, the first one here, and I wish I had more time to spend a little more time on the first point here. But we, we want to, uh, we need to take up residence in Christ. And if we are in Christ, that has already taken place. We take a residence in Christ Jesus. Um, Paul has a lot to talk about this. I'm going to look at this in a couple of different angles. The first thing we have to do, and uh, as I'm talking to both uh, Christians and non-Christians, like the first thing we need to do to appropriate the promises of God, we need to be in Christ. If we are Christ, if, if we are of Christ, you know, we are Abraham. We are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we need to be in Christ. That's the first step. The promises are to Abraham and his seed. We need to be in Christ for those promises to be, be ours. We can read the Bible up forwards and backwards. But we're not in Christ. The promises don't apply to us. The curses do. Okay? I'm not going to go into all, all of that right now because I'm not talking about the curses. We're talking about the promises of God. We need to take up residence in who we are in Christ. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." First um, John five one says, "Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him, who who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him." In other words, what I'm trying to say is that if we are born of God, and we are born again, then we are in Christ. And we need to know that. It, it should, being born again should not be a cliche. It's who we are. And it's from that seed, it's from that foundation that all the promises of God and Him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. But we need to know who we are. We need to be established in the fact that we are born again. And because we are born again, we are in Christ. And everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we are a new creation in Christ. If we're going to appropriate the, the, the promises of God, we need to know who we are. We need to know our identity. We need to know that we are in Christ. And we need to make every thought, every action, every decision, every from that from that position of identity, who we are in Christ. The promises are to Christ and His seed. But if we don't, in the back of our mind we know that, but in the front of our mind, in the, in the moment that we're making decisions and going through life, we are not making decisions based on knowing who we are in Christ. Then we are not making decisions based on the promises of God. Because the promises are made to Christ and His seed. We are in Christ. But and we, that has already been established. But if we don't know that, we're not focused on that. If we're not dwelling on that, then we're not going to appropriate the promises of God. Am I making sense? We need to, we need to we need to function 
That's why he says, the just, the righteous, shall live by his faith. Faith in what? In the cross. Faith in who we are in Christ. For he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous God in him. In Christ. Uh, I hope we are making sense on this. So the first point, I'm not going to spend much more time on this, because I'm going to spend more time on the second point, that we want to take a presence in Christ. We need to be born again. Uh, okay? But since we're born again, since we have taken our presence in Christ, if we have received Christ, then the second thing we need to, that goes with that, we need to focus on who we are in Christ. I kind of already been going into that, because point one, point two kind of go together, but we need to focus, and we need to, we need to put all of our energy and focus on knowing and relating to life through this knowledge of who we are in Christ. that make sense? That needs to be our focus. And everything we try to do in this church, from the songs that we sing and worship to, the, to everything we do as far as teaching and discipleship, we're trying to get people established and focused on who they are in Christ. Because that's the seed. That's the turnkey. That's the core. That's, that's how... The, the, I'm going to read it a little bit later, but by the end of 6 says that the communication of our faith becomes effectual as we acknowledge everything that's in us in Christ Jesus. Our faith is ineffectual if we don't acknowledge who we are in Christ. And we're not going to acknowledge who we are in Christ if we're not focused on it. We might know it theologically in the back of our mind, but in the, in, the, in the decisions that we're making, in the day-to-day life decisions, we're not acknowledging who we are in Christ Jesus. We're not focused on it. Then we are making decisions and living life absent of that thought and that reality in our minds. And our faith will be ineffectual. And we're gonna, and it's, it's not going to work. That makes, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Paul, once he got the revelation of who he was in Christ, he lived his life based on that. He realized he was crucified with Christ. He was buried with him in baptism, and he rose again with him in newness of life. He reckoned himself to be dead to, to sin, to sin nature. The old man is dead, and he reckoned himself to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. That makes sense? And that needs to be, that can't just be a cliche. That can't just be some theology or doctrine. But all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God might be fully equipped for every good work. We need to, it's in him that we live and move and have our being because we are his offspring. We are in Christ. That makes sense? Okay. Romans 12, 1 says, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I could spend a lot of time on a lot of, a lot of uh, sections of this, these two verses that we read and we quote so often. But we are going to be transformed when we renew our mind. We need to renew our mind. What we're focused on is what we're thinking about. Where we're focused on is where our mind is. And so many times we will acknowledge the truth, but we're not focused on the truth. That makes sense? And so we're, we are not renewing our mind to the truth. And we need to, we're going to be transformed when we renew our mind to who we are in Christ Jesus. We're going to be transformed. 
And that is my heartbeat in this church and everything we do. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see their circumstances transformed. But the, 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 the root of that, the, all the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. We need to know who we are. If we're going to appropriate the promises of God that are to Christ in the seed, then we need to know who we are in Christ so that we can appropriate what is ours based on that connection. They're ours, they're, but if we're, you know, it's just like having money in the bank, but if you don't use it, then it just sits in the bank. I'm not just saying squander the money, different age, but that's not my point. I'm just saying it has no value if you don't use it. Granted, you might be saving it for a big purchase or, or, or even an emergency fund and different things, but it has no value if it's not used. Uh, you know, this time of year, everyone's going to be getting Christmas gifts. <coughs> some of those might be decorations and stuff, but some of those things are going to be used. And some of those things we get are going to wear out because we use them. Um, and so, that's not, but, uh, um, we need to renew our mind to who we are, are so we can be transformed so that we can know the good and perfect will of God. In other words, if we're not transforming and renewing our mind, we're not going to know the good and perfect separate will of God. One, we're not even focused on it. One, that's not even in the moment and what we're thinking on and, and how we're, what we're focused on growing on, it's not our reality. That's one thing, one point I'm trying to make is if whatever we're focused on, that is our reality. That makes sense? So some of this talk about who we are in Christ is just a it's, a, it's an afterthought. It's a it's a past thought. It's not it's not the it's not how they live and function, and they're not gonna they're not gonna appropriate the true riches of God, the promises of God, if all we know uh, who we are in Christ and the righteousness of God in Christ and all these different things are just a, it's just an afterthought. It's not our, it's not on the forefront of our minds, but Paul's saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, if we want to see our lives transformed, if we by the promises of God, that we need to be focused and be renewed in our mind. That word renew in the Greek is where we get the word renovation. We need to renovate our mind to what we think about, what we focus on, what, who we identify with. Okay? Paul teaches over 130 times about who we are in Christ. In all Paul's epistles, over 130 times, Paul talks about who we are in Christ. That doesn't mean, that, 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 that's just Paul. We still have Peter and James and Jesus and uh, some of the other authors as well teach about who we are in Christ. Even David, uh, is, in a lot of his psalms, talks about who we are in God, who we are in Him. And so, uh, and Jeremiah and others also teach along those lines. But uh, Paul had a lot to say about who we are in Christ. Okay? We'll pick up one of them right here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Um, what I'm seeing there is all the promises of God again. He has, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual promise in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, there's a lot of aspects I can bring out <clears throat> about who we are in Christ. One of them I'm just going to bring out real quickly about, uh, I think I'm going to go to Vegas, my nose. But about being, uh, that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be, that we should be holy without blame. There's a lot I could 
show a lot of verses on this, but in the same book, Ephesians 5, Paul writes about how husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and get, he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wreak or anything of thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish or without blame. And he goes on in verse 30, he says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. We are one, one, we are one flesh with him. We are in Christ. What, the point I'm trying to make is going backwards that he chose us to be without blame, be holy without blame. Through the years, I always thought that was my responsibility to be holy without blame. But he goes on to say in the same book that he cleanses us, he sanctifies us, he presents us to himself. He does the work so that we can be in Him as one flesh. If He didn't cleanse us, if He didn't sanctify us by His blood, by the cleansing of the water, we could not be one flesh in Him because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Him, we are a new creation. Outside of Him, we are just flesh. We are miserable. We are cursed, but we are in Him. And it's only being in Him that we are, going back here, without blame and holy. We have put off the old man. In the, in the spirit of our mind, we have put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so it's in Him that we are holy. So how do we, that we should be holy without blame? We need to know who we are in Him. If we're some of us religiously, are, we're striving to become holy. And there's only one thing that can make you holy, and that is the blood of Jesus. The law can make you holy. The law is holy. The law is good. But it cannot make you holy by keeping it. In fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 9, it's the blood of Jesus that even made the law holy. The law was sprinkled by the blood that made it holy. It's only the blood of Jesus can make anything holy. And we need to identify with that. We need to be secure in this foundation of who we are in Christ. That we are holy without blame. He has cleansed and sanctified us that he might present us to himself. His glorious church. Okay? Going on in Ephesians, but he said, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. There's a lot of good things in here, but I want to highlight uh, he made us accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Christ. And he has, we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ because of what he did. That is our identity. All, the prom, again, I've got to keep going back to this. The promises of God were made to Abraham and his seed, Christ. They, the, the, the promises were made to the beloved, Christ. And we, through Christ, we have been accepted into the beloved. He didn't just say that we're beloved. He said we've been accepted. And that word accepted, we've been given grace into the beloved. The promises are made to Christ and his seed. But we need to focus on it. We need to be established in the fact that we are accepted in the beloved. 
that making sense? Okay. He sees you. He sees me. He sees us in our full potential in Christ. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Or I think it goes, I can give all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it's in Christ, it's through Christ that we have strength. But in Him we can do all things. God sees us in our potential in Christ. In the flesh we have no potential. In the flesh we are among men most miserable. But in Christ, there is nothing in Christ that we cannot do if we know who we are. That makes sense. Well, I don't care what it is. I don't, and actually, if the, the dream and vision you have for your life is something that you think you can do, it's not from God. Because God, what God has called you to do is going to be beyond your flesh. It's going to be something that you can't do. That you can't accomplish, but you can only accomplish in and through Him. Because you can do all things in Christ who gives you strength. So, we're talking this morning about how to appropriate the promise of God. The first, thing, the first thing is we need to be in Christ. And the second thing we need to do is focus on who we are in Christ. That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our identity. Because it's from that position of in the Beloved... That we can do all things in Christ who gives us strength. In other words, you are predestined to succeed in Christ. You are predestined to succeed in Christ. God has predestined his seed to succeed. <clears throat> he said in Isaiah 55 that his word, his seed, would not, would not return void, but it would accomplish what he intended. The Word of God is not the ink on the page. The Word of God is a person, and His name is Jesus Christ. And God has put His Word, and he, it says in Corinthians that Paul writes that He has written His Word on the tablets of our hearts. Not with ink, but with His blood. Oops, sorry. And in Christ, His Word will not return void. And you have been born again of that same word. Of that you have been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God that will not return void. And in this word, that this word of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes that God is holding everything by the word of his power. When he himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of God, God is holding the cosmos together by his word. And this word will not return void. And it says that you have been born again by the same incredible <coughs> seed of the word of God. And God sees in this word that he has spoken. And, and, and spoken word that you have heard and believed and received this gospel. And received Christ. In this word God sees your potential. And he has predestined your success. In Christ. I hope you got all I tried to say right there. But, but his word cannot be void. It will succeed. It will prosper. And, you, and by the seed that you have been born again. In your identity. And he has predestined his seed. Christ who is in you. Your DNA. Who you are to succeed. Outside of Christ. Outside of your born-again nature. 
Outside of all this, you cannot be, you are not predestined to succeed. But in Christ, you are destined to succeed. I don't care what they do to you. I don't care what they say to you. But in Christ, you can succeed. And you are predestined to succeed in Christ. That makes sense? For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of the Father through us. You are predestined to succeed in Christ. Going back to Ephesians, Ephesians 1 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. Skipping down to verse 11, In Him also. We have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his will, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13. And him also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's awesome. That's awesome. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a lot in that verse if you understand everything he's trying to say. First of all, we talked a couple weeks ago about how we talked about Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael is a, is, is a persecutor. He's born in the, he's, a, he's also called the son of the flesh. He's born in the flesh. But Isaac is called one who's is the son of promise. And we, he also, he's also called the son of the spirit. And we are born of, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And how are we sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? In him. Because it says in him we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The spirit of Christ who took residence on the inner side of us. The Spirit of Christ was our down payment, if you will, of greater things to come. It was our seal. It was, it was like the king's seal. And because we are marked with his seal, we are branded with his brand. We are brand sealed and branded uh, with the Holy Spirit of promise. All of the promise of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, the glory of God through us. It's our seal. It's our seal because the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, Christ. And if we are born again, born of, uh, again in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. And Christ is our, our seal. He is our stand payment. He is our testator. He is the testator of this covenant, of this promise, that we are in Christ, and if we are in Christ, that the promise is ours. And it is sealed, and it is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it cannot be revoked, it cannot be turned, the, the promises of God are irrevocable, it can't be revoked, it cannot be annulled, it is absolute, it is an everlasting covenant, it is an everlasting inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ our our King, and our God, and our Redeemer. That making sense? Okay? Romans 8 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not here. There's a couple of different things being said here. One of all, if we don't have the Spirit, we're not, we're not of His Christ. So we have the seal of the promise. But we, we started off in Psalm, in Psalm 91. We'll be coming back to Psalm 91 in a minute. But uh, uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty. When the Spirit of God dwells in us. Not only are we dwelling in Him, but He's dwelling in us. We are one flesh with Him because He has sanctified, He has cleansed us, and He has presented us Himself that we might be bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. We might be flesh with him, one flesh with Him and the, Spirit, and, the, and the Spirit of God because we are in Christ. The Spirit of God has sealed us in this relationship. When God has joined together, let no man put asunder. We, we talk about that in marriage and the bride, but we are married to Christ. And we are in Christ. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And Jesus is our seal. And we are the Spirit of God. And we don't have the Spirit of God. We're not His. But we have the Spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God. That means we also, we connect all the dots together. We also have the Spirit of promise. We are born. We are heirs. We are joined together with this promise. And it cannot be separated. It's sealed. By the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to focus on who we are in Christ. And any Goliath that comes against us, it must bow to our feet because we have a covenant relationship with God by promise, by covenant, and it cannot be annulled. That's who we are in Christ. And that needs to be our focus. Colossians 2.10 says, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. That's awesome. You are complete where? In Him. In Christ. Who is the head? That W should have capitalized. Who is the head of all principality and power? That's awesome. That means He's the head. And everything else must bow to the head, who you are in him. We are the body of Christ, and he is the head. In other words, we can say this. Each of us can make these declarations. I am whole in Christ. I have no lack in Christ. I am the righteous of God in Christ. I have everything I need to do everything he has called me to do in Christ. By even 1 6, we already talked about it, but King James says that the communication of faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every, not just some, but every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That's huge. A lot of us are frustrated because we have faith, but it seems to be ineffectual. Because we're looking for the answer there. We're looking for God to do something that he's already done. When he's already done it in Christ. We're looking for healing and not the healer. We're looking for provision and not the provider. We're looking for salvation and not the Savior. We need to acknowledge everything we are and what he has given us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus that God has already given us, we have healing. We have provision. We have the victory. And we wear the victor's crown. We will not be defeated. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And we need to 
not only communicate this faith, but we can and communicate this faith, we need to acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. That's how our faith becomes effectual. Otherwise, I believe faith without works is death. And I believe that work is to acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. That makes sense? Ephesians 2 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We have been made them alive in Christ Jesus. Peter said to this, and I'll probably spend some more time on this uh, possibly next week. But Second uh, Peter 1 3 says, And his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which, having given us given us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through us. There's a lot here. But it's through the knowledge of him that we have received all things that pertain to life and God. And it's through this knowledge of Him, it's through this knowledge that we, by which we have been given, He has given us great and exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these promises, that we we need to know these, and we are going to know these promises by knowing Him. But when we know Him and know who we are in Him, that it's through these precious promises we might be partakers of His divine nature. We are in Christ Jesus. That is the divine nature. That's the divine nature he's talking about, who we are in Christ. But we, as through these promises, that we are partakers of his divine nature. I hope you're understanding that, that verse. How many of you want to be a partaker of his divine nature? How many of you want to experience the promises of God? Then you need to know the promises of God, and you need to know who you are in him. This whole passage in Peter is talking about intimacy with him, being one with him that we might be... Uh, we might receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. That his grace, and his, his grace and peace might be multiplied unto us through the knowledge of him. But it's through these promises that we might be partakers of his divine nature. That's how we overcome the lust. That's how we overcome sin. That's how we overcome sickness and the other things of this world. It, it, through the promises of God that we, it's through these promises of God that we can es- escape the corruption that is in this world. You know, a lot of times we, we go through problems and we go through trials and we recognize that we're in a fallen world. And part of the reason why we're going through things is because of this fallen world. But, and we get, sometimes we get so focused on the fallen world, we get so focused on <coughs> this world, but we already read in Romans, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. And the promises of God are our escape from this world. So we don't have to be subject to this world and the, the downward pole of this world. No, he is the head. We are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He has overcome the world. There's a verse I'm going to read here in, 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 in a minute. But in, in uh, 1 John, he says, this is how we overcome the world. Our faith in him. John says in 1 John, I think it's verse chapter 5. We'll get to it in just a second. In other words, I can be redundant in here. It says, I have everything I need to do everything God has called me to do in Christ. 
Now let's go. Let's get back to Psalms 91. That was just some things I had to say about the first verse. Okay, here we are, verse two. And David writes and says, "I will say of the Lord." We'll come back to that phrase. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So, uh, give just a recap here for a moment. We talked about we're talking about how to appropriate or how to uh, experience the promises of God. First thing is we need to take residence in Christ. Second thing, we need to focus on who we are in Christ. And I want to, I want to spend the remainder of the lesson this morning talking about we need to say what God says. We need to change our language. And I'm not talking about just cussing. We need to talk. We need to change how we talk. Verses I have to talk about this. In other words, I'm going to look at different angles of what God is saying. The first angle I'm going to look at is what are we, what are we saying about God? What are we saying about God? What we say about God, what we say about God, it reveals what we believe about God. That makes sense. We might know some right answers theologically about God, but in the day in and day out stuff. How are we proclaiming God to be? We believe he heals, but do, are we proclaiming him as our healer? Or, or, anyway, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But what are we saying about God? I want to go back here before me. Excuse me. Psalm says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. What are we saying? What are we saying about our God? Okay. Psalm 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief does not, come, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that they, they may have, have it more abundantly. Now, there's a situation, Sherry, and I have been going through it recently. I'm not going to go into details about that. But there's something where some doors have closed. And I get it that God can close the doors, open some doors. But there's some things that have happened, and there's also been some things that have happened that They're not, it's not the nature of God. God does not steal, he does not kill, and he does not destroy. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. God is not the one who gives and takes away. Job said that. Not God. God's not the one who just gives and takes away. God has come that we have life and life abundantly. And I get it, some doors need to be closed and some doors need to be open. But God is not a stealer, he's not a thief. He does not do, he edifies. He builds up his church. And, uh, and I don't know where I'm going with everything I just said, but it's just, uh, uh, you know, what are we saying about God? Are we calling God a thief? Or is Satan a thief? You know, uh, depending on what we're talking about. Some people blame God for their sickness. But God's not, God's not a killer. God, God can't curse you but something that God has redeemed you from. God has redeemed you from the curse. He has redeemed you from sickness. He doesn't give sickness out. What are we saying about God? A lot of times we, we, we give God the, 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 the credit for our problems. He's come to have, give us life and life more abundantly. James 1.17 says this, and I'll take this from another angle. It says, every good and gift, every gift, 
every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and come down from the Father of life with him whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is a good giver. And the devil is a bad thief. God is a giver and the devil is a thief. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Now Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I'm quoting from the New American Standard because I liked uh, this is the right way of interpreting this verse according to the Greek. I, this, I don't know why I'm going here right now, but it just, uh, well, most of your translations will say, no, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe God and the Trinity are one, so no, no big deal. But I believe in the Greek, it's talking about the word of Christ specifically versus just the word of God, uh, generically. Okay. No big deal. Another point for another time. But uh, also, if you would study out this word hearing, and we've heard this verse and we've quoted this verse so many times through we study out this word here. This word echo, if I'm pronouncing it right in Greek, means a report. It means preaching. It means hearing. It means declaration. In other words, you can actually read, re rephrase this, this verse and it would be accurate. So then faith comes by declaration. And declaration by the word of Christ. We need to preach. We need to report. We need to declare what the Word of God says. My third point here is, what are we saying about God? Faith comes from, we think it just comes from hearing God's Word. That's part of it. And I'm not throwing that out of the equation, don't get me wrong. But it also comes by declaring it. You know, when I get a promise of God, I don't want to just hear it. I want to own that promise. And part of my way of owning that promise is saying, this is mine. When God says, by his stripes we were healed, I'm going to proclaim, by his stripes I am healed. When the word of God says, I am the righteousness of God, I'm going to declare, I'm the righteousness of God. When the Bible says that my God reigns, I'm going to declare that my God reigns. Faith comes by declaring and declaring the word of God or the word of Christ. That make sense? It is not just hearing it and hearing it passively, but it's hearing it as a, as a report and it's also reporting what you heard. That make sense? It's declaring what was declared to you. It's declaring what was preached to you. You heard it by it being preached, and now you're going to preach it all the more for yourself. You're going to say, this is mine, because the Word of God has declared it. That makes sense? <coughs> to me, the definition of this takes it to another level than just passively hearing it. I get it that it was conceived by hearing it. By hearing the report, by hearing the declaration of preaching, but we need to own it and we need to take the seed, the promise of God's word, and we need it to germinate and gestate and until it is fulfilled in Jesus' name. Amen? Faith comes by declaring the word of God. In the book of Acts, 
They declared the word of God. They preached the name of Jesus. They preached the gospel. They preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They preached healing. They preached deliverance. They sent out the twelve and the seventy. Jesus did. And they preached the kingdom of God is here. They declared it. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. They cast out demons in this name. They raised the dead. They not only declared the word of God, but by the declaring, they demonstrated the word of God. That make sense? And if he is king, and we are been redeemed as kings and priests, then it's time for us to declare something. It's time for us to declare who is boss. It's time for the when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And, and this child has been born unto us. The son has been given to us. That the, the, the government will be on his shoulder. And people are suffering with sickness, disease, division, and black, and all kinds of different things. And it's time for us to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and declare his kingdom has come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we heard it and we believed it and we are going to declare it and we're going to receive it in my household. And this house is going to be a house of prayer, the house of his glory that he has glorified for his name's sake. Amen. All the promises of God are yes and in him. Amen. To the glory of God through us who will declare the wonderful works of God in this generation. Amen. We need to declare, I, we need to declare what God says. God says, I am your provider. We need to declare that. God says, I am your healer. We need to declare that. God says, I am your deliverer. We need to declare that. God says, I am your righteousness. We need to declare that. Jesus died and rose again so that he could put his spirit, his spirit of promise in us. And that spirit is our seed. That spirit is our life. That seed is our seal. That all the promises are in him, yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of promise is in us. Again, we're talking about what God says. God says the spirit of Christ is in us. And we need to say what God says about us. We want to we want to accurately report. Because the word faith comes by hearing. The word hearing also means report. We need to report. We need to declare. We need to proclaim what he God says. And we need to re, we want to accurately report, declare what who God is. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's our righteousness. He is our God. He is our redeemer. Jesus says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. We need to say what God says. What are we saying about God? Secondly, what are we saying about us? Again, what are we we're talking about what are we saying about God. We need to talk now about what are we saying about us and ourselves. 
Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love that. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who's the redeemed of the Lord? Us. Are we redeemed by the Lord? Yes. Then we need to say something. Say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the, of the enemy. Do we have an enemy? There are enemies out to kill, steal, and destroy. But he has redeemed us from the hand of our enemy. Is the enemy stealing things from you? Is he killing and destroying things? Let the redeemed of the Lord says he, we are redeemed. And we, he said in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, we have been redeemed as kings and priests to rule in the earth. The enemy does not rule in my life. My God reigns. And we need, how did I know that? I heard it declared from God's word, and I'm going to declare it all the more. I'm going to echo what I'm hearing. I'm going to, I'm going to believe and speak his report. My God reigns. Amen? We need to declare what the word of God says about us. That means we need to declare, I'm redeemed from the curse. I'm redeemed from sickness. I'm redeemed from sin and addiction. I'm redeemed from lack. I'm redeemed from division and discard. I'm redeemed. We need to say, I'm blessed with every blessing. We need to say, I'm the righteous God in him. We need to say, I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm sanctified. I'm righteous. I'm holy in Jesus Christ. I have favor with God. I have favor with man. I am healthy. I am strong. I am blessed. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. We must say that the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God and him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. We need to say what God says. What are we saying about God? What are we saying about ourselves? What are we saying about our situation? What does God say about your situation? What does God say about you? What does God say about himself in regards to your situation? John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me. He, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the that's what God says about your situation. In Him you can have peace, despite what's going on. But it doesn't end just there. It doesn't mean that God's just going to give you peace, and then the enemy's just going to take, take you back. No, we already read that He has redeemed you from your enemy. And He has prepared, we knocked out last week, how He has prepared a table in the midst of your enemies. That I have overcome the world. The world has been affected by sin, yes. The world has been affected by Satan. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's awesome. And if he has overcome the world, and we are in him, we have come overcome the world. First John 4, 4 says, you are, of God, you are of God, little children, and have overcome him. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
That is awesome. That is profound. I want to read that again. You are of God. In other words, you are born of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Chapter 5, verse 4, same book, same author, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We've been talking a lot about faith in this series. But our faith overcomes the world. Our faith in what? Our, what we do? No, our faith in the gospel. Our faith in the, what the gospel reveals. And the gospel reveals the promises of God. The gospel reveals who we are in Christ. And when we trust what God says, when we trust what God has declared, and we declare ourselves, we're not trusting ourselves. We're declaring, we're trusting by faith in what the Word of God says. The Bible says that the just, the righteous, shall live by his faith. And when we have faith in God and his Word, when we have faith in his promises that are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us, we overcome the world. Are we just making sense? We need to say what God says. So what are we saying about God? What are we saying about ourselves? What are we saying about our situation? And what are we saying about others? You know, when I've understood the gospel, I see God differently. I see myself differently. I see my situations differently. And I see other people differently. If God has redeemed me, who is in Christ, God has also redeemed my brother and my sister who is in Christ. That makes sense? We need, to, we need to speak what God says about himself. We need to speak what God says about ourselves. We need to speak what God says about our situation. And we need to speak what God says about others. Okay? Matthew 12, 34. Jesus said the, the, the broad of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of abundance of the heart, the mouth I want to kind of more focus on the last part. Don't highlight it. How can you, being evil, speak good things? But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you are saying about God, what you are saying about yourself, what you are saying about other people and your situation, can can re reveals what is in your heart. Where is your heart? Because your heart will speak. speak what the devil says. Okay? Or your flesh says. James 3.9 I, I I'm not going to read the whole context. But he's talking about the tongue. In the middle of this conversation he, he, he makes a statement. James says with it our tongue <clears throat> we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. They've been born again just like we have. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. God, who is in you, and you are in Christ, loves people. He died for them. He redeemed them. He loves them. You may, 
in the flesh may not love people, but God in Christ who is in you loves people. We need to say what God says about people behind our backs and to people to their face. We need to love people. Why? Because we are in Christ. We need to focus on the good in people, not the junk. And that's usually what we do. That also means we need to focus on the good in ourselves and not the junk. We are our worst enemy. Going back to Psalm 91, it says, He shall overcome you. He, I'm sorry, He shall cover you with His feathers. And under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. But I can I expound so much on this, I don't have time. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestles that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You know, it's talking about a lot about fear there. But perfect love casts out fear, it says in First John chapter 4. Faith works by love, Paul says in Ephesians. Faith works by love. Paul told Timothy, Second Timothy 1 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We are, we are given a spirit of promise, not a spirit of fear. Okay? We need to operate in faith and take authority in the name of Jesus. And I get a lot of, there's uh, more thoughts I wish I should have had here in my notes here. Let me just go back here for a moment. Faith works by love. I usually notice that when I'm not operating in faith, that the, the, the breakdown, I have to go further upstream. When my, when my faith is not functional, I have to go further upstream because faith works by love. If my faith is not working, then that usually reveals to me that I am not operating in love. Or I don't, in other words, let me say it this way. John says, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation of our sins. He said that we love because he first loved us. God is not so much interested in how much you love him. He's more interested in how you know that he loves you. You are not going to love yourself. You're not going to love others. You're not going to love him the way that you should if you don't have a revelation of his love for yourself. In order for faith to work, you need to know how much he loves you. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.19 that when we know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, we will be filled with the very fullness of God is going to fill us with his fullness based on us knowing and having a relationship with his love. John says, God is love. God is agape. Agape is not a verb. Agape is a noun. God is Faith, so we can also say, faith works by God. Faith works by who we are in Christ. Faith works by us being focused and being established who we are in Christ. 
God did not give us a spirit of fear, a power, and Christ, God, and a sound mind. If we don't know who we are in Christ, we are not going to have a sound mind. If we don't know who we are in Christ, we are not going to experience power. But love is power. I don't care what people have done. His mercy, his love is greater. Life is stronger than death. Light is stronger than darkness. Love is stronger than hate. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Perfect love will cast out all fear. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how big the enemy is coming. But if you are established in his love, faith will operate. The communication of faith will become effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. And every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus is there by his love. His every good and perfect gift has come from Him. So we need to operate in faith. And we operate in faith by being established on who we are in Christ. And when we operate in faith, we take authority in the name of Jesus. David knew who his God was. You read the Psalms, and he is declaring that God is his refuge, that God is his buckler, God is his strength. He knew who his God was. When David came on the scene with Goliath, David began to speak what God says about the situation. David began to speak what God said about the children of Israel. David began to speak what God said about himself. Jesus got, got he spoke what God said about the situation, being Goliath, taunting and defying the armies of the God. David spoke what God said. And David to control of the situation. He didn't go there to do that. He came there to just bring cheese and crackers to his brothers and obey his father. But when he began to speak, he was the only man in the camp speaking the truth and the oracles of God. And David did not come against Goliath by his sword and shield. Jesus came against Goliath in the name of the Lord. And he took out Goliath in the name of the Lord. I don't care how big your situation is. I don't know how long your Goliath has been taunting you, but it's time to take authority in the name of Jesus. And it's time for this Goliath to be destroyed. We're not against people, but we are going to take authority in Jesus' name. We have authority over every principality and power in Jesus' name. The enemy that we kill still destroy, but he has come that we might have life and have it to us full. And if we are not experiencing that, then we are going to take the enemy out in this situation. That make sense? Because that's what God says. Matthew 6, 31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we think, or wherewith thou shalt be, be clothed. I'm kind of getting to a closure here, but... We already talked about how uh, the abundance of the heart mouth speaks. In context here, Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and speaking of the Sermon of the Mount. He's talking about, you know, he, he says, don't worry about how you're going to eat and how you make your clothes. He says, he, goes, he says, specifically, take no thought saying, what should we eat and what should we drink or what, what should we wear? We shouldn't be thinking about those things in no sense. I'm not saying we, we should be lazy and and not responsible in the sense of that, that nature. But we should be worried about it. 
God is our provider. He is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. We shall not be in need. Isn't that right? Homie doesn't make any sense because all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. But if we don't control our thoughts, we are not going to be able to control what we say. We need to control our thoughts. We need to be focused on who we are in Christ. And who we are in Christ, there is provision. There is food. There is clothing. There is drink. There is everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. That through these promises, we may be able to escape the corruption that's in this world. And part of the corruption in this world is also lack. Not having food and clothing and shelter and whatnot. But through the promises of God, we have everything we need. That make sense? So if we're thinking about how we're going to solve this, and that tells me where we're at. Or if we're not. We need to dwell in the secret place of the Almighty. Amen? Faith and release in our words. That's really what I'm trying to get here in these last few points. Faith is releasing our words, but fear is also releasing our words. What are we declaring? Faith comes by declaring the word of God. What are we declaring? Are we declaring faith? Are we declaring fear? Faith comes by hearing or declaring the report, the preaching, what God says. Fear can also be that way. Second Corinthians says it this way, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe that for us spoke. We also believe and that for us speak. I just want to look at the first part real quick. That we have the same spirit of faith, as Paul says. Because we don't have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of faith. But it goes on to say in the very last part it says, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. We speak words of blessing. We speak words of healing. We speak words of peace. We speak words of love. We speak words of reconciliation. We speak what was written. We believe what was written and therefore we speak. We can either speak whether we're either we're hearing another report, another declaration about our circumstance, about someone else, about God, about ourselves, or we're going to believe God's report about himself about ourselves, about one another, or about our situation. We're going to believe and therefore we speak. Whatever we're speaking is what we believe. Whether we're believing in fear and worry, or we're believing what God says about God himself, ourselves, one another, or our situation. Okay? Psalm 27, verse 1 and 2 says, The Lord is my light and my fear, salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat of my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. It goes on, verse 3. It says, though, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, Behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock, 
and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle, and I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. There's a lot here, and I'll elaborate on, but we started off and talked about he who dwells in the secret place. David was his, his desire, the one thing that he desired, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord. He's not talking about war. He's talking about enemies. We have enemies over our health. We have enemies over our finances. We have enemies over our relationships and different things. But the secret place, we will dwell in this place. And when we dwell in this house, our enemies will stumble. Our enemies will be overtaken. We shall not fear. The Lord is my light and he is my salvation. I shall not be afraid. I'm going to dwell in the secret place. I'm going to, he's going to hide me in the cliff of the rock. He's going, to, he's going to be my banner. He's going to be my joy. He's going to be my sufficiency. Because I am in Christ. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him. Amen to the word of God through us. Going back to Psalm 91 as we get ready to wrap this up here. A thousand may follow your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the wicked, reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Verse 10. Now no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Revelation 12 says this, <clears throat> and war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found in them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. And that serpent of old called the devil. So this dragon is devil. Michael's fighting with the devil. He's called, and he's and the serpent, this dragon, is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He's a deceiver. That's what he does. That's what he does. He does everything is by deception. He had, was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. I love that. Where we that again? Then I heard there was this war with the, the, the devil and Michael. And then he overheard. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Verse 11. And they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not lose their lives to death. Love their, love their lives to death. What are you saying about God? What are you saying about yourself? What is your testimony about others? What is your testimony about uh, your situation? Are you saying what the word of God says? And what does God say about your situation? Because he has overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. The blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony has overcome our situation and the enemy that we're facing. The enemy has been defeated. The deceiver, the accuser, has been defeated. Amen.
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. He's still out to kill, so destroy. He's still out to deceive and accuse. But we need to dwell in him and this Christ. Verse 11. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He has persecuted the church. He pers he's persecuted his bride. He's persecuted us. Ooh. Uh, he, his, his war is with this child, Christ. And so his war is with us. We're talking about, in this last part, we're still talking about what are we saying about others. See, if you are accusing believers and bringing their sins and failures, bring, bring up their sins and failures, you are working with the devil. There's a lot of points I can make out of whatever you just read in Revelation chapter 12. But he is an accuser. He is a deceiver. And if we are accusing one another, then we are cooperating with the devil. Because that's what his job is. We're here to bless one another. We're here to edify one another. We're here to wash one another's feet. We, we're the body of Christ. And we need to say what God says about one another, not what the devil says about others. that making sense? We need to say what God said. God's blessing and devil's cursing. God's blessing the devil and destroying. God is not accusing us. Only the devil. God is not bringing up our sins and failures. Only the devil. And who are we going to quote? Are we going to bless one another? And be reconciled to one another? Are we going to heal one another? Are we going to speak the kingdom of God is here and heal the sick and raise the dead? Are we going to cooperate with the devil and accuse one another? Someone who's accusing one another does not have a revelation of God's grace and his mercy and his righteousness. God got over our sin at the cross. We need to get over one another's sin. We need to get over our own sin and failures as well. God got over our sin. We need to get over one another's. God is not holding your sin against you. God saved you. We don't hold one another's sin against one another. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God. Submit to what God says about what God says about himself. Submit to what God says about yourself. Submit to what God says about one another. Submit to what God says about your situation. And based on that revelation, resist the devil. And he will be. Do this in closing night, Psalm 91, verses 14 and 16. Because he has set his love on me. Therefore I will deliver him. He's talking about us because we set our love upon him. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. We talked about his name last week. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That is an awesome promise. He who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty. This is what he is. Are we dwelling in his place, in his tabernacle? We are the tabernacle of God, the writer of Hebrews says. 
are we doing our own thing? Are we in Christ? But we don't even know who we are. But are we in Christ and we are declaring the wonderful works of God? Because all the promises of God in Him are yes. These are some awesome promises. He's promising deliverance. He's promising salvation. He's promising long life. He's promising uh, answers. A lot of people come to us for questions. He is the answer. And all this we are talking about, we're going to talk about the promises of God that are yes and in Him. Amen. To the glory of Father. Bless. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, we just uh, help us to appropriate your promises. We worship you. We magnify you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Thank you.